I'm Jill Anderson. This is the Harvard EdCast. Irvin Scott, a senior lecturer at the Harvard Graduate School of Education, thinks faith is missing for a lot of children in schools, but not in the way you might think upon hearing that. He believes in the separation of church and state. He has no desire to push faith or religious ideology into classrooms. But he also thinks faith leaders can help with educational outcomes for kids, especially in vulnerable communities where religion and faith play vital roles. This pursuit led him to recently create something dubbed LIFE, or the Leadership Institute of Faith and Education, where the two worlds can come together in the name of kids. It appears the interest is widely there, considering the first meeting this fall attracted double the number of participants expected. Recently, I sat down to talk to Irvin about why faith leaders are important to the work of schools and how we can start thinking about bringing these two worlds together more. Yet I wondered how people react to this quest he has to bridge the gap between faith and school. I think the reaction ranges from total excitement. Like, you're kidding me. You really are doing that? That is so cool. And those usually are people who are practitioners, who have a sort of deep-seated faith tradition as a part of their identity. I get a lot of that. Like, that's great. I want to know more about it. How can I help? How can I be involved? And a lot of that has come actually through social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, which I'm pretty big on. The other reaction is more wondering. It's mm-hmm. like, hmm, how are you doing that? What's up with that? Like, what are you trying to do? Tell me more. I have very little visceral, emotional, negative reaction. And I think probably there are some assumptions in the lack of that type of reaction, one of which is, oh, my goodness, this guy's an educator. He's been an educator all his life. He must know the importance of the separation of church and state, so he can't be doing something that crosses that line. And it's very true. I'm not trying to do anything that crosses that line. I actually think that's a really, really important line, and I respect that line. And so I would say it's been mostly excitement and some wondering. Well, that's all good then. That's all good. We're running our first, what I call, pilot institute to test this because we can't pay for people to do it. I thought, okay, let's see if we can get 30 people to actually pay to come to Harvard, to come to Cambridge, Massachusetts, to help us dive into this topic together and learn together and share what they know. So we set up registration for people to sign up. We tried to get the word out through word of mouth. And we had to shut down registration because we're up to like 70 people. It's been just very exciting. And they're coming from like all over the country. And we've got representatives internationally also. So it's exciting. Tell me more about what sort of drove you to look at this issue of faith and education and bringing the two worlds together? A couple of things. One, it's hard to talk about this without talking about my own personal background. Having grown up in a family of six children and parents who continue to have strong ties to the African-American faith tradition, the denomination that I'm most familiar with and I grew up in is the Church of God in Christ, which is a very strong 
well-populated Pentecostal tradition in the African-American community, along with Baptists, AME, and others. In many ways, it's connected to my own personal background, because while I had a strong faith tradition as a part of my identity, which many children do, I also had a strong education push on the part of my parents. But the interesting thing was, rarely did those two things ever intersect. I found ways to intersect them, but they have all been, Mm -hmm. for the most part, tangential, which caused me to begin wondering something else, which speaks to the second reason that I think we've been really interested in tackling this issue, is that faith traditions, particularly in vulnerable communities, African-American, Latino, even Native American, Mm -hmm. vulnerable communities economically, rural, white communities, faith organizations play a pivotal role Mm -hmm. in the support and sustaining and political engagement in those communities, right? So I say no matter how vulnerable a community becomes, usually in this country, um, no matter how blighted it becomes um, in terms of economics, there are two institutions that still remain. Schools, because they're compulsory, they're required by the Constitution, state or federal, and faith institutions, Mm -hmm. because they just don't go away. People in this country, and the Pew Charitable Trust does a survey annually on faith and religion in the U.S., and it shows up annually that vulnerable communities, communities of color, Latino, African-American communities, disproportionately rate faith and religion as a critical part of their identity. And so those organizations, faith organizations, churches, mosques, play a critical role in the lives of these communities, as do education organizations. And so the question is simply, are there ways that these two communities might support one another in improving, here's the key, outcomes for those children, particularly educational outcomes, which is what we are most interested in as an education institution, right? So we're not interested in changing people's faith. We're not interested in giving people faith. We're interested in, excuse the term, leveraging faith (laughs) organizations as a way of improving outcomes for children. I like how you had to put the disclaimer on the word leveraging. (laughs) I do that because leveraging, first of all, we use a lot of education jargon in education and leveraging. It can sound like, let me just say, using, Mm -hmm. right, which doesn't have necessarily the best connotation. And I don't mean using. I mean partnership. I mean collaborating with. I mean doing in tandem with. I mean, making sure we share information between. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not just saying how can we use faith institutions. Although we're both interested in both being for education organizations and faith organizations, we're both interested in the same thing, which is improving the outcomes of children and their communities. And I think you already made the point of this really isn't about indoctrination. This is not about forcing religion or faith or whatever you want to call it onto a subset of children or even educators. Not at all. It's just not about that. We have uh, 
uh, examples of organizations like in Nashville, Tennessee, United for Hope is one of the organizations that will be coming to the Institute. It's just a great example of how an organization can be very thoughtful and strategic about how they support the children of Nashville as communities of faith. Um, and one of the things that they do is they train individuals who are going to support this effort on the importance of not crossing the line around proselytizing. And they do a great job. And the district works directly with this nonprofit organization as they support schools, as they support teachers, as they support principals. And I think more of that should happen. The other thing I would say is sometimes it's just about information. So I was in New York City. I was speaking at the National Hispanic Christian Leadership Conference, and I shared some data on the National Assessment for Educational Progress, the 2015 data, I think it was. There were a host of Latino pastors in the room. I remember how they came up to me afterwards and were in awe of the data and were like, you know what, I've never seen that national data on how Latino students are performing in relationship to other students in this country. I've never seen that. I don't think that's good. I don't think it's good that pastors, ministers, imams who are in the communities of these children, I don't think it's good that they don't know how the children are performing. Why isn't well, that good? That's a great question. Information is critical. If I want to help someone to the extent that I can know more about how they are, where they are, I'm in a better position to strategically support them. And in this country, when it comes to pre-K to 12th grade children, a critical part of how we identify how they are doing is through education outcomes. We determine how they're doing from a health perspective through specific ways, birth weight, how they're growing, how they're doing from a dental perspective. Like we have these ways of knowing how a child is growing and developing in this country. And when it comes to educational outcomes, we have a way of knowing and how a child is doing through assessments. That is a critical part of knowing how they're doing. If you are in the business of servicing children and communities from a perspective that some might call spiritual, then I think it is also a great thing for you to know how they're doing in other ways academically. Because that academic performance is ultimately, at least in this country, a good indicator of how they will do in other ways in life in the future, um, whether they go to college, whether they will have the literacy and math skills to perform on certain assessments that open other doors for them, that allow them to move up economically, that allow them to um, move into different classes and thrive as citizens. I appreciate the question, why do they need to know that? It's just a part of the children's identity also. How would this look or how would you hope it would look in communities it looks different in different places. Mm -hmm. From a programmatic perspective, it might look like volunteers from a host of churches in Metro Nashville going through a nonprofit organization called United for Hope that trains them, that acts as an ambassador for principals and schools 
to talk to these churches around what is the support that they need. One school might say, you know what, we have a host of kids who are behind in reading. What we need most is volunteers to position themselves in the school to help children read and just listen to children read and give them feedback so whenever those children take the Dibbles test, they are better positioned to improve on it. That's a very tactical example. And another place it might be around engaging faith leaders around a particular policy that has been determined a critical policy for improving the opportunities for children in this particular place. And faith leaders need to know the issues and they need to be out front related to the issues. And so it could look different. And I would say it probably has some programmatic aspects. It probably has some policy aspects. But the key thing is we can't build it from Harvard. We've got to work with uh, communities who are actually trying to do it. I appreciate those examples because it's hard to imagine what it would actually look like on the ground yeah. in these communities. And so I do want to ask you about we might have some educators listening, maybe even some faith leaders listening, about what are some of your ideas you might be able to share to how to kind of bridge that gap mm -hmm. or that distance that might be there mm -hmm. in, in these areas? So I'll say maybe three things. One is try to be proactive versus reactive. It has been my experience, and I've seen this also, that education organizations, school districts, school systems, schools, reach out to faith leaders who are positioned oftentimes to be great ambassadors for the community, a voice for the community, in a position to speak to those in power, governmental power, whatever business. Oftentimes we reach out to them when there's an issue, there's a problem, a crisis. Mm -hmm. We're like, oh my goodness, we need, who are the voices that people will listen to in these communities? Let's go talk to them and have them understand or speak on our behalf. That's important to do. What we're trying to do is say, before that happens, because it probably will happen, how do you have conversations on an ongoing basis around what you're trying to accomplish from an academic perspective, from an education perspective, but also what they're trying to accomplish? What do they do? How are they already in these communities building relationships, providing services? Some of those services are academic services. They have after-school programs. They have preschool programs. Mm -hmm. If we're in the business of education, shouldn't we be talking to them about these after-school programs? And might there be opportunities for us to share some of the curriculum that we have in schools with these programs that they have in their churches or mosques or whatever? So proactive, reactive is one thing. The other thing I would say is think not just in terms of programmatic, but also think in terms of policy. A lot of what happens for vulnerable communities doesn't just manifest itself through programs. It manifests itself through policies that are in place to enable opportunity or create barriers for opportunity. One example, just thinking from a high school perspective, what's the district policy related to how children get into advanced placement courses? There have been many policies historically around advanced placement opportunities, which is sort of the higher level teaching and learning opportunities that children have in high school. There have been policies that create a disproportionately low number of children of color getting into those courses. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's a good thing. I think there should be more policies that allow children to get into those classes 
and get into those courses and get the support they need to be successful. I think it's important for faith communities to understand those policies. And then the other thing I think would be really, really important, and it's what we're trying to do, is learn from others, right? Are there other organizations, be it faith organizations or education institutions, that are doing this work, and how can you learn from them? And again, this speaks to what we're trying to do through Leadership Institute for Faith and Education, bring people together to learn from one another. Thank you so much for coming in, Irvin. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Irvin Scott is a senior lecturer at the Harvard Graduate School of Education and leads an effort called LIFE, Leadership Institute for Faith and Education. I'm Jill Anderson. This is the Harvard EdCast produced by the Harvard Graduate School of Education. Thanks for listening.